Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. I'm very excited about my guest for this episode. His name is Joey Reuter. He is a globally acclaimed, and that's no joke, a globally acclaimed designer. He's an artist. He's hard to pin down, quite frankly. He has over 25 design patents, and he makes some stunning, stunning objects that many times move. They are um, incredible And I've had the great opportunity to work with him for a few years now, taking a lot of photography, collaborating with other uh, video production companies that are making short films about his his objects that move. They many times look like they're from the future. They are minimal but beautiful, beautiful objects. Um, He's just got a very interesting mind, and we try to crack into Joy Reuter's mind during this episode. Um, there's a lot to unpack in there. He's, he's really, uh, a, a deep thinker and, uh, he's very serious about his craft and at the same time, um, uh, you know, just a mean, mean dude who makes mean objects. I don't mean mean in a weird way. You know what I'm saying? He's just a badass. That's basically what it comes down to. And you should definitely check out his work at jreuter.com. That's J-R-U-I-T-E-R.com. A couple quick house cleaning things before we hop in is uh, I promoted a little contest uh, to win some fried chicken from a hot new restaurant in town called Hancock of Grand Rapids, which is uh, uh, one of those Nashville spicy chicken food joints. This is not a sponsorship. They're just a restaurant that I like. And uh, I had their chicken the other night and I was blown away both uh, by its spiciness and also just how good it is. So I decided to uh, create a little contest on our Facebook page, which is called Full Exposure with Brian Kelly. And what it was is you had to guess um, properly who our upcoming guest is which was Joey Reuter. So I've been taking a portrait of somebody that's kind of obscure or dark. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to have people guess? And if they win, maybe I'll have something for them. Um, The contest is easy. All you have to do is like Full Exposure with Brian Kelly. That means a like or follow on Facebook and just share the post. And you're eligible for a $25 gift certificate to Hancock. Uh, This week, I don't know, this isn't a sponsored post. I have no obligation to keep doing this or trying to, uh, you know, promote local businesses. But I do believe um, I like Hancock and I just thought it would be fun. So the winner, drumroll please, of the $25 gift certificate to Hancock. Spicy chicken. Amazing. Really good. Cool part of town. Is drumroll Robert Bell of Grand Haven, Michigan. You are the winner, sir. You're Robert Bell, and I don't think you're the Rob Bell, the pastor. I think you're just another cool Robert Bell who lives in Grand Haven and played our contest. And guess what? You've got a $25 gift certificate to enjoy some of the best spicy chicken you're ever going to have. And um, anyway, just DM me on Facebook, and I'll get it out in the mail to you. Speaking of sponsorships, um, this podcast is purely funded by and fueled by passion and my business, which is Brian Kelly Photography and Film and Brian Kelly Productions. As always, if you are thinking about embarking on a photo or video project, would you please reach out to me? I'd love to chat with you. I love working with companies of all sizes and budget ranges. And uh, I'd love to start a dialogue with you and see if we can collaborate on something together. So there's the soft sell. That's all I'm going to do. I do have some exciting stats to share before we hop into the episode. And that is, I was looking at some analytics of our downloads of this podcast, and I was blown away. So far, uh, this podcast has been listened to by people in 11 different countries. Around the world. 11 so far. I know there's a lot left. I know there's quite a few more countries out there than 11, so we have some room to grow globally. But around the United States, hey, we're getting pretty close. We're 35 different states 
at this point that people have listened to this podcast, and I'm just crazy. We're going to get to 50. We might get some U.S. territories in there, and it's going to be awesome. So anyway, keep following Facebook. Uh, like us, follow. Please share. Share this podcast. If you like it, tell a friend about it. Post us up on Facebook. That's the best thing you can do to help us keep growing. And without further ado, here's my next guest, my buddy, amazing, brilliant mind. Uh, we're going to get into it with Joy Writer. But the smoothie process. So what's your base? Are you going yogurt, ice? Nope. I'm dairy-free, so I, I freeze bananas sometimes. Okay. It's usually frozen fruit, banana, avocado, spinach, water. Blueberries. Blueberries, strawberries. Just for color. Whatever's right? in there, yeah. I don't, even if I can, if it tastes like berries and it's green, it still isn't a smoothie to me. It's a green drink. You have smoothie rules. You have like, there's a, like, there's a, what is outside the bounds when you have a smoothie, you're like, that's not a smoothie to me. That you've really broken some rule. I think when you put additives in it, like protein. Wheatgrass? Wheatgrass, protein powder. Something that makes it not taste like the pure fruit. Okay. I'm pure. You are. You're pure. Your mind's pure. <clears throat> I like the boundary. So, like, you, you're, not, uh, you're not afraid okay. to look at a constraint, so to speak, and then say, yeah, you need to stay within that constraint, like with smoothies. Or with, like, automobiles, you're like, no, we need to, we're not doing this just because we've always done it that way. I mean, the constraints are somewhere to start, that's for sure. We do need some constraints, right? I like to As say, a designer? yeah, I like constraints, actually. They make you better. Well, we were talking, so we actually are rolling. So I, okay. I, I like kind of these uh, crazy little intro, like it's, we're talking about nothing. Well, let me finish my breakfast then. <laughs> yeah. So after my smoothie, yeah. I fry up a couple eggs over hard. Got it. Hard, okay. That's okay. Don't like it messy. No, if it's at all runny, I don't like that. Huh. And then uh, maybe some meat if there's some around. And that's it. Breakfast is good to me. That's your favorite meal? Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you have it with your kids and family? Or do you just like when they're gone, then it's Joey time? No. So I work from home. My office is on the property. My studio is too. So, yeah, I wake up before the kids. I'm with them with breakfast, making breakfast. My daughter's super picky, so I usually get two or three before she eats one. And my wife doesn't like that I do that for her. <laughs> I'm yeah. teaching her bad habits. Yeah. Yeah. And then I walk into the bus stop. You know what they say, what we say at my house? Uh, this isn't a restaurant. So whatever we're making, you can have that. We want you to have that. But if you don't want that, you know where the rest of the ingredients are. My kids are a little bit older than yours, though. Yeah. Anyway, teens. I'm sure we'll have this conversation five years from now when they're all teens and claim this podcast and then just say, listen to what Mr. Kelly did. He's raised successful children. Nice. He seems to be a nice man, but he didn't coddle. I think what Kelly's saying, your wife, stop coddling her. I just enjoy <laughs> hanging out with him, you know? <laughs> no, you guys do have a cool life. But I want to get back to the constraint idea, because we just did a photo shoot, right? And there's the train. Hey, everybody, listen to the train. It feels like it's in my ears. Yeah, feels great. That's are the, we uh, on the good side of the tracks or the bad side of the tracks? We are definitely on the wrong side of those tracks right there. Talking about constraints, we did, we did a photo shoot. Do you enjoy being photographed? Because I've photographed you a few times, and we've always had great results. But I'm wondering what your mindset is about photography when it's of you. And do you enjoy it, or is it like, ugh? Where are you at with that? There's not a wrong answer, Joey. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to say I enjoy it because it feels like self-glorifying a little no, bit. No, I think you can say that. Like, some people embrace it, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll try this. But you're experimental on top of it because you yeah, think like, like a designer, and you you already leading. In your mind, you're seeing lines and things that you can make better. Yeah, right? I, I sort of project a vision of how I want to see a product, especially. And then when you put a human in there, it's kind of interesting. And when yourself, it's like, wow, yeah. that's pretty cool to see yourself in a new perspective. Yeah. And that's a perspective that a lot of people don't get. I think what you do well in photography, when you're sitting for me as a portrait, is you're, you're, you pretty quickly divorce yourself 
as an object. You can look at yourself as an object, yeah, even though for it's sure. you, and you can set aside your whatever. You know, we all have baggage we bring to our own portraits. You know, it's like, oh, I, I, yeah, know, totally. I look heavy or I don't like my hair today or my nose always looks this way. People say that all the time. But what you're good at, I think, is, you, you know, you're really already into the art of it, and you're looking at how to play as the subject to, like, okay, what if we did this? Yeah, and the ultimate like control. Like, today is a good example. You're like, silhouette. We were looking at a book, and there was a photo a portrait I saw randomly this morning with Kelly, and it was a silhouette. I'm like, well, let's set up a silhouette. Yeah, let's try it. Full backlight, I said. Yeah, full backlight. Okay, whatever. <laughs> it's not in the manual that way. <laughs> no, I do enjoy sort of playful playfulness yeah. of that. And then when you can have control over it, because you are the subject, it seems like even more control. Yeah, I, I give you the illusion of control. That's my gift to you, yeah, is that you yeah, think I, I you're in that. charge of your photo shoot. I'm That's why kidding. you're so good. <laughs> just kidding. You're like, I told Brian everything he needed to do on that whole shoot. Why am I paying him anything? I do feel sometimes I overstep my bounds with people like you or other It's like, oh, don't you think you want to try like this? And I, I try to work. Well, I would say there's two parts. You're very good about your portrait. You give me control. When I'm shooting your subjects, your creations, I want all your input because I wasn't on the forefront of the concept and what you're thinking and like what you're trying to communicate to an audience. So help us, me, because even I know you well, I know your products well. I don't know how many shoots we've done together, four or five maybe, of really cool products, outlandishly crazy looking stuff. I get the craziest cool comments when they see your cars, your dune buggies, your snowpeds. It blows people away. They don't know what to think. So what do you describe you, what it is you do in the realm that I photograph? Let's just say, like, these are objects that we photograph. So what does that mean to you as a designer? Forget about your business for a second, but just uh, the process of you being an artist and an outside-the-box thinker. Sorry for that long setup question. It's <laughs> a long question. Yeah. Well, I think when I envision something, I really see the photo at the end. When, that, when the flash goes off, like, I see that pretty quick at the start of a project. Before, like, Before you're I, already seeing, like, I see how, how I want it shot, how I want it, like, done, how I want it shown. No, you're not just saying that for me, but you're no, really, totally. like, part of, like, you're thinking in a, almost a cinematic, photographic terms about what a motorcycle or a snowmobile or a not car the, might be. I mean, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but, like, that's in your process. Not the specific shapes or the the product itself, but the shot or the, the feeling or the experience that somebody's going to have viewing that, um, either I'm creating tension or creating like a vibe that I want somebody to kind of get emotional about or amped up about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new product I'm working on. I don't really know what it is yet, but I know the shot already. It's really? dropping from the sky and then it's freeze framed right at the end. Do I, Stop. do I get to shoot that? project or is that going to be farmed out to one of your other army of uh, photographers well you're on the list for sure you're you're (laughs) top 10 (laughs) top 10 i cracked the top 10 i remember i was top 30 at one point but i enjoy working with people like you and other photographers and filmmakers in saying here's the product here's the thing you do what you want with it as well and i think seeing what other people think this is about or what could be or how they view it is just as interesting to me so yeah, I think I have there's a, vision, a balance. But I think there's you're good at like, hey, do you always say do whatever you want or you light it however you want. I'm not telling you how to light it or do this or that. But once you see some things, that to any other person that I shoot for, they would be 100% satisfied with that. And not that you're dissatisfied; you think they're cool, but you always bring an extra sort of thought or angle to the visuals that we're trying to, you know collaborate on that I wouldn't have had unless you were kind of thinking about plussing onto whatever the first thing I thought of was. Yeah, I think it's just building on people's creativity. Just, oh, wouldn't it be great here? And then, oh, yes. And then just one more shot. But you don't get to do that in the shop with the product, right? So I can't inform, like, you don't want my input when you're, like, halfway into Snowped V3. You're like, stay out of the garage, Brian. I don't want anybody's (laughs) input, really. Right. Which is an interesting part of my work. Right. But talk about those machines. So why did you start making bicycles that I saw at Graham? You know, you had your um, 
the buggy, the dune buggy. What did yeah. you call that? Reboot buggy. Reboot buggy was in the Grand Rapids Art Museum as an art piece. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of your pieces are objects, but they're also, in the case of the reboot buggy, how many horsepower? 470 or so. Yeah, but yeah. tearing up dunes yeah, for in sure. Silver Lake, it's an aggressive, gnarly machine, but it also sat beautifully in the art museum. So how do you merge those worlds? Well, I think your first question of the four that you just asked there would be... I always ask five, <laughs> five or eight six questions minimum. in my setup, and then you just pick one. I started making these um, early on in my career when I started out. Um, I was kind of sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. I started my own design firm, everything set up. I got a new computer. A pencil sharpened. Pencil sharpened. <laughs> We're ready to go. A little sweet studio. You know, all the shops ready. And it's like the phone doesn't ring. And then it's like, well, this isn't very cool. And the phone does ring. And it's like I'm carving foosball characters for $15 an hour, you know, or something just to get the work. So I basically created my own client. You know, if the phone rang, what would they ask for? I say that. So I don't want to interject too much about photography. This podcast is not about photography. But a lot of times I'll give students, say, or young photographers, how do I start? How do I get working? It's like give yourself an assignment. Yeah, pretend, totally. pretend a magazine called and said they have a shoot they need to do of a person with a car uh, on the lakeshore, and you have to go shoot it, yeah. just as if there was a check on the other end. I thought I made all that up, and I was the only one that worked that way, so yeah. thanks for bursting that. I'm pretty sure I gave you that idea. <laughs> uh, so that initial client comes in and says, I want this piece, you know, and then I sort of run with it. And sometimes, like, for the bicycle, it's like, can I take an object that everybody's familiar with and then do something else to it, make it more familiar, start a new icon or a new conversation around something that's been around for 400 years? It's like, is that even possible today? Right. Um, and it's like, oh, I, I just sort of did it. That's crazy. I can't believe there was room in that category for something innovative and different. Right. And then I said, well, what about, like, skateboard what about car what about plane like I just sort of yeah went down the list and uh, each time I found something so why are these objects you know they're they're motorized a lot of them either pedal or you know there's inner they're, they're transportation of some kind and in that field have you found a, pro, a professional application to those or are those just like your canvas for now as I'm going to think about transportation yeah it's kind of my muse it's my passion but I also the rest of the work is furniture, office furniture, consumer products, and it's so confidential, so proprietary, so closed door that I can't talk about it with friends and other clients. Yeah, I didn't even know you didn't know. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So a lot of it is like, hey, what are you working on? It's like, well, I can't really tell you. Right. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah. So it's like, actually, I'm building a car from See scratch. See the next dinner party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when it's released. Yeah. yeah. So it was a nice way for me to just roll with a conversation and to meet really cool, clever, creative, like-minded people in my circle. So I see new fabricators, meet photographers, new processes. Like, I'm learning that on my own, and then my network is getting bigger and bigger. So then when I do get the next seating job, it's like, hey, have you thought about five-axis right. you know, lasering these tubes? It's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, I just did this on this, and, you know. Right. Well, it's another good, and to draw it back to some things that are, I think, I never thought of our practices being similar in that I'm shooting things for my book. Like, I'm shooting things that no one would hire me to do because yeah. I'm creating for myself because I might want them in my portfolio, because people might want things shot that way or in that style or just a cool look to something that I'm doing. And you're kind of doing that on your end. You're, you're showing I'm, all these amazing objects and you know, machines you're making are for your portfolio. In a sense, they're conversation pieces. Yeah, totally. They're door openers. Yeah. Because you just don't want to be a guy who designed a stool or a new baby crib. You know the other I mean? thing is like press and advertising it's like i don't pay for advertising and i'm in magazines all over the world books yeah. all over the world i mean right. a lot of things it's i like, shot a back cover of one yeah. of your books and that was in my contract i said joey <laughs> i will not shoot a back cover i only shoot front covers of books and magazines i know and, I and then you. i you send me this coffee table book which is beautiful by the way 
But where is my where's my shot of your product? Where is it? Back cover. Back cover. I don't shoot it back depends covers, on how, Joey. I shoot no. front covers. It depends on how the book's sitting on your table, I'm really. Getting, I'm getting really wound up right now. Sometimes the front is the back. Yeah. Oh, it's how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, it's a perspective. So if you're in Asia, maybe it's, it is the front cover because it is the back in the United right. States. Totally. Okay, so in Asia, I have a front cover of that book is what you're saying. Yeah. All right, I'm settled down now. I feel good. I, I might have come at you a little hard there. We want to get the front cover shot. Yeah. No, but the point is you are producing these things that bring a lot of attention to your brand and your design talents that really, it's a gateway into who you are and name yeah, notoriety. Yeah. So that's been a successful placement for you, even though these, I know they cost you a lot of money to build and prototype these things that, you know, you can't build some things like you do unless you're investing a lot of your own money into them because no one else is necessarily well, going to front of, end it. Part of, you know, criteria and budgets and all that, Again, like that stiff mark makes you more creative. You know, if you only have five thousand dollars to build a car, it's like, how do you do that? Well, that that's a whole exercise, and it's a itself. lot of rubber bands, by the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, time, budget. Yeah, it's not an easy endeavor. That's for sure. Well, the other thing I think is that people might have the impression that sometimes happens with me is they feel they can't afford to even pick up the call of the phone and talk to you because they just have, and I have that impression of your work, you know, and just because it's of a certain way and certain aesthetic and uh, so much that I admire, like, well, there'd be no way that guy's interested in doing anything for this or that. Does that happen to you? Yeah, more than I hate to even understand. Yeah. I mean, I'll get calls quite a bit saying, hey, you know, we're looking for a designer that can, like, make this new toaster and... You know, it's got to be really radical and conceptual. Do you know anybody in town that would be willing to work with us? <laughs> like, I would like to design like, a toaster. That sounds amazing. <laughs> what? You know. It happens to me a lot as well, and I didn't bring it up for that reason, but just to reinforce what you're feeling is people will say, hey, Brian, I have a project. You're probably not interested. Totally. We don't have a lot of money. Do you, can you recommend somebody? Like, I, you want me to recommend somebody yeah. for that? Like, I, I sort of get it, and I try to help, but I'm like, why didn't you just ask me? Because... I guess it's good that a brand might be, oh, he, he the quality has got to cost more. But the reality is I work and you work for sometimes nothing to all the way to, you know, really great budgets and and everywhere in between. So there yeah, really is yeah. no no up front. I'd rather hear it. I'd rather hear about the project than like someone go, oh, uh, we didn't even approach you on Totally, it. yeah. At least let you say no. Like, shouldn't you decide if you say no? The problem I have, too, is people see my work online all over, and they think I make black boxes. Oh, true. You know, or yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's like this something, yeah. very futuristic yeah. vibe and, and stuff. It's like, like, no, I make, like, you know, <laughs> doilies, <chair>. too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't do doilies, but <laughs> I would. No, I get it. Yeah, exactly. If there was a check attached to you. No. To think about a new way to make a doily. I, I'm pretty fortunate that I do turn down quite a bit of stuff. Good. So I'm pretty selective on what I do. And well, that's taken that's me a, a long that, time. But that's a process of being, how long have you been doing this? This is, I'll be 15 years on my own firm. So I'm 20, 20, 21, 22, yeah. somewhere in there. And I think it really, to really find your voice. Another question I, I love to find out from people in your field is, at what point did you really feel when you were starting out? Did you actually feel like you had a voice and you were really good at what you did. I know you're still learning, and I you put all that yeah. aside. But I'm not I, divorce it from ego. Yeah. I mean, you can strip that out. I don't. You know, we know you're you're are who you are. But the point is, at what point did you go? Like, I think I got this kind of by the tail a little bit. A couple times. I mean, each like every year, I think that again. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh wow, I can't believe I did that, or I've been doing this. Yeah. So when I see like a video and hear myself talking about a product or seeing the product doing something, it's like, I, I can't believe this video is so cool. It's like, that's actually me, and that's work I've done. Like, that just, it's really powerful. When you were, it's more when you reflect back on it, where you're like, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, in the beginning, I'm super amped up, and at the very end, I'm also amped up. But in yeah. between, I'm just rolling through the motion. So I'll have a thought, and it's like, I'll craft it in my head, and it's, basically done every right. nut and bolt line right and then i spend a year making that happen 
like I'm a storyteller at the end of the day. It's like I already know the story. I just have to tell it for a year so it can get produced. That's um, amazing that you think of it as storytelling because I think in overuse, I use it all the time, so I'm as guilty as anybody. But in photography and video and, you know, what's the story of your brand? We're storytellers, photographers. Yeah, we'll tell yeah. the story of it. But you think that you can take an object that you're thinking about designing and that has a story. But it itself, literally, you're saying, well, you're, the through the design process, you're telling the story of that object. Yeah, you have to rationalize and justify every square inch of it. Especially in a corporate environment. For teams of people, yeah. and then there's then manufacturing. Engineers, then engineers attorneys, safety. Totally. Yes, yes. Like, yes hey, all of this it. looks like it might fall, or we don't want to hurt anybody, or this edge yeah. is too sharp. And or... I've been through all of that, positive and negatively. <laughs> um, yeah, but, the, the storytelling, yeah. like you're just reiterating, and if um, I like adventure, I like aspirations and I like doing fun things and like you have to have that background to tell the story to get people excited like I work to hang out with people you know at the end of the day yeah and we exchange stories and have a good time and we might be happy to making might happen to be making a chair or something yeah but that's secondary to like the stories we bring collectively to the table. Can I tell you a story that sort of reiterates what I think when, when you probably don't perceive yourself, and I, I'm not always good at receiving compliments, but what I perceive of you, it's kind of a mundane thing, but it's also a big thing. One thing that I will never forget is we were set up to, we were going to, we put a, you wanted some new portraits, probably for a book or a magazine that was coming out. So he said, can I get into the studio? It was like the day before, and I, I could shoot you the next day. And that night, <laughs> you made a chair and welded together a chair completely of your own sort of, um, what's the best word for it? Improvisation, right? You took what you had in the shop, put it together. Yeah, yeah. So, but you showed up at the studio. I didn't know you were bringing a chair, but you just brought a prop for you to sit in that was from your well, mind. Well, this goes back to I had the shot in my mind that I wanted. Right. And it was this sort of MTV guy in a chair with his you know, hair getting blown back, yeah. but more subtle and like dystopian. Sure. And I'm like, oh, what chair can I sit in? It's like I can't use any brand's chair. Right. Cause that, yeah, like, right, because you want to work for I all of them. I want to work for all of them. Yeah. And then... You know, I'm looking around, I could do an apple crate or a wooden box or, yeah. you know, whatever. So it's like 10 p.m., I'm like, screw it, I'll just make one. Right. You know? <laughs> but you came in with a fully formed chair that was unlike any chair. Like, it was this sculptural object. The kicker object. there, when I do that, the off-gassing of the paint isn't dry <laughs> yet in my van. Just, it's not good. That's why you're a little loopy when you came in Probably. for that shoot. No, but I, you know, that's the type of thing that, like, uh, as me as a layman that does not have your skill set whatsoever, like, I can't even put together ice cubes in a tray, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's bad, so. Yeah, but it's the same thing for you. It's like, it takes you one second to click snap on a photo, but you you know how to do that. Yeah, no, and so, I, we... A lot of the episodes, there's been a little vein of this podcast so far where it's like, I really truly believe you have to follow, and maybe I'd love for you to speak to this too, is you have natural abilities that you feed through your interests or whatever, and we all kind of follow the path of least resistance with our parent. It doesn't mean you don't work hard, but you're, follow, you know, you're, you're not going to, like, I'm not going to go and become a pianist in a jazz trio because I can't play music. Why, it would be a dumb effort for me to try yeah. to practice that. But I found that I had a, some natural ability with photography, and, and because that felt good and you got reinforcement, you just continued. Do you feel it's the same way in your practice? Like there are certain things that you do really well, so you end up find yourself doing those things? Yeah, some things come easy, I suppose, but they only come easy because I have a disregard for, like... Convention? <laughs> convention and, like, a, a mentality, like, I can just do that, you know? Right. To me, it's just material. It's just cutting. Right. I'm not afraid of the, the materials or... I guess I'm not afraid of much. Right. In the shop, you know, so it's just like, yeah, I'll just do it. And that recklessness really paid off for me. Yeah. You know, a disregard so, for convention and disregard for how things should be happening. Right. It made me sort of fast track into... So tell me how the... bit. So everyone can listen to this and go, okay, yeah, you're this designer who has 
you know, you, you don't, you're not constrained by convention and you look through that through your own perspective, but at the end of the day, how do you pay the bills, you know, in terms of like as a business? So I know there's some things that are pretty straightforward product ideas and designs, but other, you know, tell me a little bit about, and I don't need, I'm not trying to dive deep or anything. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I work for this company to do this and that's kind of how it works. This is how I sustain my practice as a designer. Yeah, so, I mean, I get briefs that come across my desk, quote-unquote, you know, and... Um, Do they tend to be from a particular industry? Yeah, a lot of contract furniture mm -hmm. is probably my, you know, 80% of my work, mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoy it. I like projects that you can get your hands around. I can physically make them. They're at a scale where, you know, I can see them full size right away. Um, so I'll get a brief, and it says, hey, we're looking for a product for, you know, two years out. Sorry, we had a little problem with my garage band. So we were just talking about, you're from the Lakeshore, you know, you know great, we've shot a lot of stuff out there. So take me from, you know, you're this art kid in college, or in high school, and you're thinking about college, and you ended up at Kendall? I ended up at a community college. First. Mus Muskegon community. Yeah, after high school, I was in the arts. Three. Were you a good student? A student of what? Good in high school. <laughs> Maybe that's my answer. Uh, you know, were you traditionally like a good student, high GPA performer or not? Um, no. I performed yeah. fine. I didn't ever do homework. I showed up to most classes. <laughs> um, I wasn't a bad student at all, but I just right. didn't put in the time. It's like, it's funny, my mom, my both my parents are great, but my mom... Like, she's like, you're getting, like, C's all over. She's like, can you, like, are you an A student? I'm like, oh, totally. She's like, let's see it. I'll give you 100 bucks for A, you get it. I'm like, fine. So I got all A's the next semester. She's like, okay, you can do whatever you want now. Really? So then I just skated through the rest of. She knew you, you validated that you didn't have some other issue, really. Like, if, yeah, you wanted totally. to, if you wanted to be book smart and perform in that. Like, that's one thing about, like, I don't really love about traditional education is that, you know, you're just taught to play back to, to that. Yeah. It isn't really developing. You're trying to earn points in a system that's sort of supposed to shape you only one way. Yeah, and I um, early on felt at will to just do what I needed to do to make it happen. Yeah. Um, I was nice to people, respectful, all the stuff, you yeah. know, so she's like, check the box, great, you're fine, yeah. do yeah. what you want. So after, you know, I did three independent studies, I had great art teachers, and they recognized, like, this person doesn't need to be doing these classes. Like, let me just take them under your wings. Yeah. Um, junior and senior years were great. And then I didn't really have a desire to do college like everybody, all my friends were doing. Yeah. Um, I ended up at community college. Do you recognize what that was? Like, it, could you articulate it at the time, like, why a traditional college path felt different to you? Well, there's just, like, all these slots to go into all the titles like engineer, doctor, <laughs> business, right. pre-law. It's like no, I didn't check the box for anything. Artist wasn't on the list because that didn't have good outcome. Right. You know, socially with girls, anything like that. It was like, oh, what are you, an artist? Or, you know, if you just said anything else like pre-med, which <laughs> would have been different. Lightyear, yeah. Yeah, um, date card would have been full. So I went to a community college. I just took, like, welding classes, um, more drawing classes, and yeah. then... Abstractly, though, I'm just so curious about that because you're like, oh, I'll go to MCC. Okay, you're looking at courses, and you're like, I'm interested in welding. <laughs> I had already welded before, but I wanted <laughs> to be better, you know? Right. And I liked building things. I liked, yeah. you know, I wrenched on cars early, you know, so I was already in the shop, doing things. I didn't know what industrial design was, and that's the yeah. path that you would technically call me, yeah. even though I consider myself more of an artist, but whatever. I don't like the label. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know what industrial design was, but yeah. I was already doing, quote-unquote, industrial design in the garage. Sure. Retrofitting old tractors into go-karts yeah. and, like, you know, changing the paint. You're solving problems. Yeah, changing bodywork even on cars and, like, yeah. making new things. Yep. It wasn't until... Two years into Muskegon Community College, I went to a show at Kendall, a fine arts show, because I was studying fine arts, um, if I had a label, and I saw industrial design. I'm like, holy cow, like, 
there's a scooter, you know, somebody like, I could totally do that. And like, what is this? And then it was that much of a light bulb moment. Like you were, totally. had, you were kind of that visiting with friends night. So that kind of naive golly gee. And you ended up at the show and you're like, what is this? Yeah. So that moment happened, moved to Grand Rapids and started classes. And, uh, that was it. That is really incredible. So I started, it was fun. I started two years late into the program. And then so I, the industrial design one was already booked up. So I just took industrial design two. You know, yeah. why not? Right. You know? Yeah. You already got one. You're so just counting. The learning point. curve was steep, yeah. you know, but it was great. And I just, yeah, went on from there. I loved it. Yeah. So Kendall Industrial. So how did you find a way forward out of? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you started a, your own design firm, so to speak. So after you graduate from college. Well, let me, I'll say this about like at Kendall. I, I did internships right away, so I needed to work. Um, so day one, started classes. Day two, I went to the job board and saw, oh, industrial design position at Bissell. You know, intern, like right. I'll go apply for that. Sure. No portfolio, no anything. I walk in there and I meet the director of design and we're talking and I'm showing him drawings of like figures and like car yeah. paintings and stuff. And, and then I noticed like he raced motorcycles, like vintage Ducatis. I'm like, oh, you race? And so we started talking about motorcycles. And then the portfolio is irrelevant. You know, it's like right. having an interest. Yeah. You know, that's the takeaway, right? Totally. Is so that... I get hired and I draw handles and yeah. it was great. And then I just moved from intern to internship. Um, Throughout Kendall, and when I left, I uh, had a position at Steelcase, and I had interviewed around a little bit more, but ended up landing at Steelcase, and it was great. A few years there, and then... So you were salary at Steelcase for a while, working within yep. that conference. So that's how you learned more than someone who had never been on the inside of the furniture industry. Totally. Yeah, and I just... It was like... I was like a sponge. I felt like I just absorbed everybody, and I, I shifted around quite a bit in there. Mm -hmm. um, super great people. Um, the engineers, super talented. The designers are great. And then I got to meet outside designers as well. And those are the people that I really like. You were like, oh, these people are doing something yeah. really different. Yeah, and it was interesting. And so a lot of people were busy. And then I was like interning or new there. And I didn't have a lot particular happening. So like, hey, can you take these people out to lunch? Just entertain them. We'll meet with them again in the afternoon. So I would go out to lunch and just, you know, yeah. bombard them with all these questions. Sure. And then um, there's still people I could call today and... I refer back to and it's great. That's amazing. So at what point were you ready to leave sort of that nest and make the next leap? Because entrepreneurially you had to, you know. You're, yeah, you're this is the question I get all the time. And here, here it is word for word. I <laughs> was on the way to a meeting and I was happened to be talking to my wife on the phone and the meeting was about something. And I had a great time there. And then I'm just like talking to my wife. I'm like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I just want to like flex my muscles a little bit and design and just like I just I, it's just kind of too weird now I just I want to do something else but had that occurred to you the week before no I had been thinking about it but I, there's no way you could approach that rationally and say I yeah. should leave this great job with great people yeah great everything and then try something else I mean everybody has ambitions and aspirations to do that so I'm on the phone I'm like I just I think I should just not do this and she's like and she said just quit like I mean Let's just do it. I'm like, okay. And then I hung up the phone. And then I went in and I'm like, hey, on the way to the meeting, like I talked to the general manager. I'm like, hey, this I gotta I'm putting in my two weeks, you know. And then I ended up staying like two or three months just to like clean up some projects. Sure. That's a that's crazy though. Like and it was crazy perfect way. ever since. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. And there was a sunset, you yeah. just kept driving towards it for the rest of your life. It was actually a great move, and in hindsight, um, it's like something you couldn't do. You couldn't have rationalized it. Right. Well, at that point, what stakes did you have? Did you have children at that point? No. Like, I mean, it, it was, was the right up, time to yeah. do it. As, if you're ever going to do it and fail, totally. there was less to risk than there is now. If you had, a, you know, s stayed another 10 years at Steelcase and then went out with what you have now with family, you'd probably be like, no, nah, I need health insurance paid for yeah. You know, there'd be a lot of, like, thinking about it more than probably... I have a pretty did. good way to ignore a lot of those shoulds, <laughs> <laughs> career life-wise and career-wise. Um, but, you know, the next f 
few years were definitely uh, tough. I mean, I, people don't know this, but it's like I drove a moped around for a year. Yeah. You know, sold my car and I would buy and flip cars a bit. I would restore stuff. And so I, but there was what no. What I'm hearing is that, you know, there's a lot of hustle underneath there. So you're not, you know, people in the creative field or people aspiring to the creative field really don't understand a couple things in my opinion. One is you work for yourself. You're responsible for every penny that comes into your life. You have to generate somehow. And the other thing is you, before you can just do that, you're going to have to do a million things. You're going to hustle in a lot of ways just to yeah. pay bills. And it's easy to look back or it's easy for somebody young to look at you now and go, oh, yeah, it's easy for you now, but it's like, no, dude, I drove it's moped. just as hard now as it, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, and it doesn't still, get easier. It doesn't. You get, you tune in your hustle, I right. think, yeah. and you shift schlepping, you know, whatever to yeah. schlepping this new thing. No, it's true. And I, um, I said that to somebody who emailed me, they had heard, they had heard actually the first podcast that we released uh, episode one, and somebody wrote me, and somebody I don't know very well, but they just said, "Hey, um, I just I needed to hear some things about you and Brian Vander talking about like creativity and sacrifices and the balance between life and work, and really like the hustle and grind. Even today, we're all working as hard, and I'm sure you're working just as hard, maybe harder in some ways than I was 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago." Harder, but just in a different way. Yeah, yeah. It feels different. You feel established, but at the same time, nothing's given to you. There's no easy wins, I don't think. No, <laughs> not at all. And that's, I think if there's something that bothers me, it's people think it's sometimes easy or it's, oh, don't, you know. Yeah. Another that's how you know you're good, is that people, it looks easy. Yeah. I like a good golf. Especially uh, to bring it back to sports, which will go right over your mohawk. <laughs> Golf's like the most right over your mohawk right most now. Most interesting of yes. all sports, yeah. golf. Great golfers, they have the most beautiful swing. It, the game looks so easy when pros play it. Uh, baseball swing, you know, all that stuff. They they've got millions of hours of practice and yeah. frustration. The kicker it. for somebody in my sort of genre too is I like minimal products, minimalization. Yeah. Deshaping, unforming—it's—it looks effortless because there's not much to look at. Right. <laughs> so well, it's like, well, that took you a year to make a black brick on yeah. wheels. It's like, well, well, what do you? Ha- I, I say this a lot about photography, and actually, I'm—I'm I'm quite honestly surprised just talking to you because we've never really did. We've talked a lot about a lot of things and hung out a little bit, but it's mostly around work stuff that we're yeah, doing. Yeah. Is the correlation in thinking? is that I think uh, reduction in a photograph is very hard. It's hard to make something simple communicate a lot, but it's through simplicity that creates emphasis, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to add to that, sir? No, I, I just in terms of... Um, well, the, the quick gesture. Yeah. You know, what is the emotional response like instantly? Yeah. Um, you shouldn't have to stare at something and then it slowly comes to you why you might be interested in looking at it. Like, oh, it took me a Should while, be. but I, yeah. it's like a Netflix series. Oh, you got to wait four seasons before it gets interesting. <laughs> like, I think it should be interesting right away. Right. Like, what's the second look? Like, yeah. why do you look again? Well, uh, all those ideas, and I think I lost my train of thought, but you brought it right back for me, is that whether it's a story, an, a story, a movie, or, or some concept, or a game, or at some point there's some simple, brilliant idea that is the carry through of whatever makes yeah, it successful. Yeah. And that brilliance is in some of that simplicity. And when you look at your objects and your designs, they are simple forms. But I think within that constraint that we started off talking about is really the, uh, the brilliance of your practice is that it does look simple. There's only like the chair you built and brought in for our photo shoot. It's fairly simple, especially when you photograph it from one. Yeah, you, yeah. Lose, you know, it's this object that can be reduced just by the way you look at it visually, what angle you look at it. It looks more and more simple. But um, that's generally not how careers work. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's hard. Business, you're trying to balance all these things. Yeah, and I'm trying in the business also minimalize what I'm doing. So, 
overhead. Yeah. You know, all those things in order to like leave room for the muse, I guess. <laughs> afford the muse. Yeah, afford the muse. Whether it's time, whether it's materials. Yeah. You know, I remember you, you had shared with me one time how much you had into a particular vehicle and I was stunned and you don't have to repeat it, but it was like, no, this is not, this is not little play money sometimes, you know, there's, no. there's a lot, yeah. put in a lot of time and materials and man hours. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. But it was fun to drive around. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. I've had a couple, um, a good friend of mine, filmmaker, we joke around, like we've had a couple of seconds that cost a few thousand dollars, you know, and it's really true, you yeah. know. No, it's very true. So in terms of the platforms of your ideas, I mean, you have a simple, clean aesthetic, very reductive, but what are the underpinnings, some of the under other underpinnings of your design theory or design practice that you're really trying to, seem to be pillars of each project? Yeah. I mean, if I can spark curiosity in somebody's mind, I think I have the win make them look twice again at an object and just wonder a little bit about it. And what that does for me, it, it lets me know their brain is working yeah. and they're having these synapses and sparks about their curiosity. It's like either trying to understand it or wondering why it doesn't have something particular. And like a car instance, it's like, well, there's no doors on that. Well, how do you get in? Oh, there's a foot, you know, like yeah. they're thinking through the process of something I think that's pretty magical. And you're letting somebody tap into their own creativity, which they might not have tapped into in a long time. Yeah. And I think inherently we're all highly creative individuals roaming around on this planet, but we've just been told that we're not or told you can't or you shouldn't or people don't like that. One thing you mentioned, an offhand comment a while back, a couple of years ago, I just remember it's like you mentioned something about well, why do we, if the engine is always put in this part of the structure, can we consider maybe we don't just have to do it that way because everyone has always done it that way? Like, what if we just put it there? So is that sort of a line, like that's a line that I always think about when I think about you. It's like, well, we don't need to put stuff here just because we always have. Yeah, following convention. I mean, yeah. we follow convention. That's what we do. Like, we build houses the same. We, the same colors Oh, the new color this year. Okay, everybody do it. You know, yeah. and like, you just sort of seem to follow, follow, follow. Um, and this, for me, if you disrupt that follow, like, there's a really hard line. It's like, what? No, you, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, really? I, I just actually did, and it's still driving around. Yeah. Well, uh, you can't. Like, it, it is right there in right. front of you. Well, then, I love that. Like, the sort of like, wait a minute, you can't. People are blown away with the consumer car. And the when they because they're on my website and people go what are what are these you know what is that and I remember you yelling this is real lens flare this is all real <laughs> like I can't believe this is happening like this guy well there's the one photo there was like this uh, perfect moment again in the in, at the surface seems super easy we just bombing around like apple <laughs> orchards <laughs> and totally backcountry roads. And just found this little hill. The clouds were what they were. And you drove it maybe a couple loops behind past me and a couple passes. But timing all came together. So that photo was probably one of the easier photos we've ever made just because it was us, uh, two cars, you driving this consumer vehicle. And it looked easy, but it was only easy because we were there doing it. Do you remember yeah. the farmhouse with like five or six I'm assuming family members on the porch, out of a scene of some Wes Anderson film, staring at us like yeah. it was awesome. Wondering if they were going to, like, because this looks very much a consumer car. It very much looks like. We should have stopped and asked him what year it was. Yeah. Like we came from another <laughs> dimension. We would have been probably escorted off the property at some point at that. Yeah. But, um, but that car, so people can't believe I'm getting back to the form and the function of it. And I'll, that one of those images is in my formal portfolio. So when I show ad agencies or anyone who wants to see me present my work formally to them as a potential to use as a resource down the road, they look at that and they go, what is this? And I go, well, it's actually a fully functional. I mean, it had a license plate on the back that you taped on. And, you know, I mean, like it had, it was a, uh, what do you call it? A license. It was road approved. Yeah. yeah. Car. And ish. It, yeah. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little squishy on yeah. that. But but the point is, 
it wasn't something you needed to only drive on the back roads. Like, it was a functional car. Yeah. And, but it looked otherworldly and totally different. I remember driving behind you because I was following you, you know, just to, like, it was safer for me to kind of be behind you, I think, just from... Uh, you were less likely to get run over because I knew you were yeah. there, this small little car. But um, Well, the power design in that instance for the car, it's a few changes in scale and proportion. I mean, if you, if you squint your eyes, that's really what's happening, and it's something totally new. Um, yeah. I just want the world to be able to apply that to lots of other things, and our creativity is at a minimum at best. You know, right. social issues, yeah. political issues, like there's so many things that if we just, you know, thought about it of another way, just a little bit could lead us into... No argument there. I think there's on all sides if there's, and that's why I think people are intrigued with your work is that you come in from this side angle that people haven't thought about for a minute or the answer to a problem that people haven't really thought about. And usually the expression of that is it's beautiful and usable, like it's simple, but it's really these products that are uh, exceptional because of they aren't the same thing. They come out of the same, they might have a similar function, but they really do something entirely different within that model. You it's know? nice you said beautiful in some objects because nobody's ever said <laughs> some of my stuff is beautiful. I think and they're beautiful. No, I do think? too. Yeah. yeah, it's not usually a word that's used. You know, They might be muscular, but that's a beautiful, yeah. like it's, they might be rugged. They might be, you know, like in the case of the dune buggy or the reboot buggy, I, that thing is badass. Like it looks amazing it's like anything i've ever seen in that is beauty oh yeah yeah it's not a rolls royce bentley yeah. but i don't even like those cars yeah. but you know yeah is it a beautiful car it's different different sides of beauty i want to talk to you later another episode too because i think um there's a lot of things i'm interested about especially now i want to think about how there's certain commonalities in our practice even though we don't do anything related but there's something about that part of the brain that is we're sort of flexing some of the same cognitive ideas yeah. in some respects and I would not compare anything but what I do to what you do but there are certain elements about design that would be great to think about it a bit and talk very specifically about some things but what are you excited about coming up I know that's a dumb like question but and to the extent that you can talk about anything Mr. NDA uh, yeah there are some NDAs happening um you know, just came off launching some pretty big new products with companies, so that's been a lot of fun. So I have this a bit of a lull in the work mm -hmm. or in the my daily life, so I have opportunity to get back in the shop, do some more creative things. So I'm building a new truck right now. It's an electric vehicle. Really? Um, and How I, far before that rolls out of the garage in some capacity? You know, I'm going to let this one... I've been working on it in my head for a while. Yeah. I'm going to let it kind of slow... Build. I told somebody I would be done in June for a show, and then I backed out of it. It could, it could happen, but it's not. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of, re like, on the electric vehicle, I think petrol motors are dead. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time before we just get on with it. Um, so this is, like, my take, again, on the city car, sort of, like, how this autonomous vehicle Did is going to move around. About, I just worked for a client who would disagree with you on the on the petrol car. Yeah, you did mention that. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that for one second? It's not that we, it's not an argument. I don't know anything about it, but their no, take I was a No, I just think if you, I would just argue, like, go get an electric car and drive it and plug it in and use it and then... Right. No, I totally agree on the abstract. Like, we, elect, like, we don't need petroleum anymore. We don't need... That's a dead thing. The problem, their perspective was in the developing world, China and India, and cars and trucks and semis and transportation and rail cars and all this stuff, big heavy stuff, petroleum's not going anywhere soon, so they yeah. had a, a hybrid. So, so the problem that they teed up, which I think is really interesting, and, and I'd just put it out there, and if you, if you have a thing on it or a twist on it, I'd be really interested to hear, but it's like electrical vehicles now that you can buy, they're for rich people. They're a second vehicle. It's never their first vehicle. Maybe if they live in town or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you, deal, you need something else for a longer range. You need something, you know, they're not, they're not 
15 grand for a new buyer. You know, I mean, they're, they're expensive vehicles. So the fact that they're having an environmental impact is sort of a save. Uh, um, it's more of a... Which you could argue they're actually not better environmentally. Right, because of, yeah. Uh, anyway, a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A lot of problems. But the, the brand, the mystique is, oh, I feel better driving a hybrid or I feel better driving a fully yeah. electric vehicle because I'm not using well, gas. Well, I guess I would say in my new build, I, I, I'll backtrack petrol's dead but it's like to me like even the consumer car the drivetrain is irrelevant and yeah. for this new build the drivetrain is irrelevant again but it's just electric for sake of sure a, the, an idea. a power plant that i can put anywhere in the car and it's basically non-existent yeah so that frees up the whole engine compartment to do something else yeah so that's where i'm like rearranging the components and electric gets me to the point where the slate's even cleaner than it was before. Yeah. And again, what this company I was working with, it was about the idea of global scale, that there's 100 million vehicles being produced a year, and most of them you know, are outside of countries that will ever have electric vehicles in the near term. So yeah, like, yeah. anyway, that's a totally weeds nerdy conversation. It wasn't to, I would fully believe the world should be electric and solar and or hydrogen powered or some, you know, water-based powers would be awesome. But um, in any event, um, really appreciate you coming in, man. Is there anything you thought you would talk about, wanted to talk about that we didn't cover just for this one? You're probably like, there's just so just much. Just want me out of here. <laughs> You're like, what time is it? I think the new shot, you know, like the new product, going back to like the initial vision, yeah, the aspiration, um, well, that was really revealing to me that you think so visually that in the earliest stages of thinking about an idea or an object, you're already seeing it in a magazine or in a book almost yeah. or in a, a video. or a Without the vision for anything, I just think it's dead. You know, like if there's no vision... Like, Wouldn't that cool? Like you're sort of like reverse engineering it to fit into this very futuristic thing. And that's the other thing people always say about your work. It looks for, for the future. But... It's kind of revealing to me that you are, you design backwards from the future. Yeah, which is, educationally speaking, not the right way to do things. That's why it works for you, because you know <laughs> wow. how to do it. And it's not conventional. Yeah, maybe. All right. Well, I feel good about this. Yeah, this has been fun. All right, man. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you. So there you have it. Joey Reuter. Great conversation. Hey, if you want to see more of the contraptions that I photographed for him, I put a link up in me, um, in me old, <laughs> it's St. Patty's Day, in me old Facebook page. No, it's actually on my website, which is just called briankellyphoto.net, briankellyphoto.net. And I have uh, a lot of Joy's machines up in the section called the Full Exposure Podcast. And um, anyway, I'll put a link in the bio here, or the uh, description of this episode, but... Um, Listen, uh, you got to see his. Uh, you got to see what he's doing. It's pretty crazy, and um, I really admire his work. And I look forward to working with him again down the road. Hopefully, I did crack the top ten of uh, his top photographers. So there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance I can work with Joey again. Top ten. Anyway. Um, hey, one last debrief. Laugh Fest was great. I am been the honored and privileged to be the official photographer of Laugh Fest since its inception nine years ago. And uh, I had the great privilege over the last ten days. I photographed some dynamite, um, dynamite comedians, some of the best in the country. Ali Wong, how about that? Lonnie Love, the great Ed Asner. Mary Tyler Moore show, Lou Grant, remember him? He's still doing great. Um, Brian Regan, the comics comic, the consummate professional, he was great. Joe Coy, holy cow, he was a bundle of energy to shoot. Man, he's cool. I'd love to get him on the podcast because uh, he's got an energy that's uh, amazing in person. And uh, we took some really cool photos. And... Um, who else? Amanda Seals was another one. Oh, man, she brought some energy to our photo shoot. And uh, she's really a rising star. She is rising quickly. Nate Bargazzi. Nate Bargazzi, I think it is. Nate Bargazzi just just got a Netflix special out. He's going to blow up, too. He's already big, but, man, this Netflix stuff just 
pushes comics right over the top, much like Ali Wong and Joe Coy. I mean, they are becoming household names for sure. And I think we started off with Matt Belisai, who's kind of a YouTube star, and uh, but very funny. He sold out six shows at the Pyramid Scheme. That's crazy. But anyway, I love working with LaughFest. Uh, proceeds from these all these shows help support Gildas Club of Grand Rapids, which is Cancer Support Center. It's a, it, it is a, an organization that was founded by Gilda Radner of SNL, Saturday Night Live fame, famous actress. She passed away of cancer, but before she died, she created Gilda's Clubs around the country, and they uh, assist anyone on their cancer journey. You don't even have to have cancer. So if you have some type of uh, an impact in your life that has to do with cancer if a loved one had it passed away from it they offer support services for you so gildas club your awesome laugh fest is an amazing 10-day comedy festival and uh, i just can't wait for year 10 they're gonna have some big big plans for next year so i'm gonna quit yammering i hope you have a great week let's do this i don't even know what that means but we're gonna do it together and um just have a great week everybody talk to you soon